Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. For all of you that are new here, welcome to the family. All you regular listeners, welcome back. If you guys aren't subscribed to the podcast yet, what are you doing? I'm just joking. Go ahead and subscribe. If you want to stay on top of all the episodes, you don't want to miss out on all these amazing humans. And when I do solo episodes, subscribe or hit that follow button wherever you listen to this. Or if you're on YouTube and you want to watch us, go ahead, go there, subscribe, and hit the bell to stay on top of the notifications. So today's episode, we have Johnny Elsasser joining us today. He is a former Special Operations U.S. Army Ranger with four combat tours between Iraq, Afghanistan, and another five years protecting the U.S. Ambassador to Iraq in Baghdad. Johnny has seen the field of masculinity through extreme alpha perspectives and knows the trials and tribulations of the toughest men and how they deal with their life on a day-to-day basis. Johnny's mission is to help men find strength in developing masculinity to be consistent with who they are and not what society expects them to be or what society tells them. Johnny has shifted his fight to advocating and supporting alpha males in finding their own masculinity and purpose as a man in society today. This conversation was so powerful, you guys. Johnny is one of the best dudes one of the most knowledgeable and one of the most, I would say, embodies the real true masculine of what most men, if not all men, should strive to be. He's worked in some of the most challenging, horrendous conditions, and yet he's still got this amazing big heart, and he's awesome. I was on his show, The Art of Masculinity, which is amazing, and just the title of that, the Art of Masculinity podcast is such a great title. And he, un- he unpacks what that means. He talks about what we do is we dive into his story. We talk about what it means. Like I kind of read through this, this bio on air a little bit because I wanted to un- help people understand what he actually did. We went through that and then we talked about masculinity, what it means, where we've gone wrong, and some real interesting perspectives on his angle on how he sees it. And it made me think differently. This is the whole beautiful thing about these shows is that it opens up perspectives, not only, not only for you guys listening, but for me, when I'm having these conversations, I think differently. I start to, I get these seeds planted and I know that you're going to have a ton of different perspectives uh, by the end of this too. The only thing is we had a little bit of tech difficulties. My team did our best to piece it all together. I hope it's all right. Be patient. It's worth it. I promise you stick through till the end. Even if it's a little glitchy, um, it's worth it. And go follow Johnny. All his information is down below. And make sure to go subscribe to his podcast as well. I was a guest on there. Um, at the time that this is coming out, it hasn't been released yet. But probably by the time this is out, it'll be close. So go check on that. And make sure to leave him a five-star review on Apple and follow him. He's, he's working and doing some amazing work. And I'm just so grateful to have him on the show to share his insight and really 
his inspirational message that we all need to hear. All right? Enjoy the show. Johnny El Sasser coming right up. Here we go. Johnny, welcome to the show, brother. Super excited to have you on, brother. How are you doing? I am doing well, man. It's always great to see your face. You bring joy to my life, dude. Bro, likewise, man. Last time on your show was so powerful, the art of masculinity. That was such a great conversation. And I love what you're doing. And I've been looking forward to having you on my show for a long time because when I learned about your story and what you're doing now, it just, it got me excited because I've never had somebody on the show with your kind of background and somebody that's really been in the trenches of some difficult shit that most can't relate to. And I really want to mm. kind of give people a little bit of insight into that, your aspect of your life as to, let me just read a little bit of your bio after, you know, I've read it in the, the, the intro, but just to kind of like tee off the, the spot where I'd like to start and we can kind of go from there as to you being a former special operations U.S. Army Ranger with four combat tours between Iraq and Afghanistan and another five years protecting the U.S. ambassador to Iraq in Baghdad. So first of all, for those that don't know the lingo of, you know, being in the army and what that means, but what you've gone through, first of all, explain to us in terms that some that there's a lot of Canadians that may not understand what that means and simplify it for us. Walk us through what that was like and kind of what your role was in the army. Yeah, brother. So everybody kind of, I mean, even Canadians, you, you guys all know what the SEALs are, right? Like every, they're kind of the poster boys for like what elite is in the U.S. military. And people have heard of special forces and Special Forces and Navy SEALs are part of a community, and that community is called Special Operations. Okay. And in Special Operations, there's... So to start off, like if we look at even Canadians, everybody kind of knows what Navy SEALs are. Navy SEALs are kind of the poster boys for the elite in the U.S. military. And then majority of people understand what Special Forces are, or at least know the group Special Forces. And so when we look at the special operations community, those are just two entities within the special operations community. They actually have, we have in special operations, a big group. It's a wide net that has different components. And some of those are like pararescue, which is air force. You have Marine force recon, you have Navy seals, which are Navy. You have special forces, which is one of the army special operations group. The other special operations group in the army is army rangers, which is what I was. And there's to put this in perspective to everybody, you hear of Navy seals, you hear how elite they are. There's less army rangers than there are Navy seals. And so we are an extension of that special operations community within the U S army. And what we do is a real direct action type thing. Like when you're like, Hey, we want to hit something with a big hammer and we want it to go full force, like that tip of the spear, as they tend to call it, that's what an army ranger is. We, we are pinpointed direct action, usually in urban environments, 
and we just go take down terrorist cells. And so they point us in a direction and it's like letting a pit bull off a chain that that's been bred to fight. Right. And so that's really what we do. We're kicking in doors. We're, we're taking the fight really to the enemy. We're hunting them down strategically. Like that is our job. And every special operations group has like a different job. And so to put this in a little bit of a perspective, Navy SEALs obviously focus more amphibian assaults. Then you look at special forces and special forces is like a group that trains indigenous forces a lot. So they're not necessarily a direct action. Rangers are a direct action special operations unit. Combined special operations covers the gamut of everything. But we are one of those pieces that it's like, oh, cool. We got this high value target. We need to go send in the guys that are going to be able to take the fight to the enemy because we think it's going to be a hotbed of, of terrorist forces and we need to do what we need to do. And they send us in. So that's really kind of the idea behind Rangers. And that's just kind of a bigger overview of what I was. So I was a sergeant in Ranger Battalion and through my growing up there in Ranger Battalion, what I did was, was pretty much all the jobs to get up to that point. But I was, you know, I was leading breaches. I was blowing up doors. I was blowing up buildings. We were getting in gunfights. We were hopping out of hell. We were fast roping out of helicopters. We were jumping. Well, I didn't do any action missions jumping out of airplanes, but that's part of our bread and butter. So we practiced it a lot. So I have over 25 jumps from doing just a lot of training on that, but we fast roped into missions. We landed on top of targets and helicopters, like all kinds of stuff like that. So our bread and butter was taking the fight to the enemy in urban environments and truly hunting them down at times when they didn't think it would be expected. So, and we would go into some really tough places too. We were built, you know, uh, they say like Ford tough, you know, that's what we were built, like Ford tough. We did a lot of our training, which is why we had a really, really high attrition rate as well. Something like 75% attrition rate failure. So that was really kind of like where I started in special operations. That's where I started and ended in it. Wow. Dude, that's crazy. So what kind of things, so yeah, we, you hear a lot about the Navy SEALs training and what you, you have to do. Some of the crazy shit that goes on. And it just, it blows my mind. Obviously you hear a lot more about that, you know, with Jocko and through David Goggins is a lot of the training and a lot of the stuff that you had to do similar to that. Like walk us through some of the shit that you guys had to do on a daily basis to kind of develop that, that resilience and that discipline into your life. Yeah. I mean, it, it really starts. I, when I go back to this, this is how I also teach men. It's such a, it's such a, it, it rings true in so many facets of our lives. What we did on a regular basis was we, we hounded and has came from my background. My philosophy for anything in life is that you can't get complex unless you are incredibly proficient at the basics. And so what we did on a regular basis was you were waking up in the morning and you're going and you're doing PT, which is called physical training and you're working out and then you're going and training after that. And you're training all day on the basic tactics of urban warfare, of, of squad warfare in the, in the woods, in, in environments. So with, with how we developed our pedigree in being like what we were and how we were highly capable. And this rings true for everything that we do in life, in my opinion, is we started from the fundamentals. 
And my philosophy, because this is what I came from, was that you can't get complex unless you understand and are proficient in the fundamentals. And so when I was growing up in Ranger Battalion, we would get up in the morning, you go and do physical training, which is called PT. You get the shit kicked out of you a little bit. You'll get like what we call getting smoked by your sergeants and stuff. But then as soon as you're done with that, you get changed and you are out for like the rest of the day training, just pounding in the basics day in and day out. And that meant we had like in the back of our battalion, we had what was called, it was called like a shoot house style thing. And it looked, it was like a makeshift home, right? And we practiced room clearing for just hours upon hours upon hours, man. Like that's why we were so good at it is because we just practiced this room clearing, but we got the fundamentals and you would be like the, you would like the dumbest shit you would get dinged for. But because we were getting dinged for the most basic things, we became so good at it. And then from there, it was all kinds of different styles of warfare. And so while we were practicing all these fundamental complex operations, when, when everything, when all the shit hits the fan, if your fundamentals are good, you will always be in a good place to be adaptable to that situation. And that's what we were because at the end of the day, when we started to get very complex with our operations, like you're having a dual breach, you're having a team come in from a door on the bottom, and then you're having a team breach on the top of the house. That's a very complex operation. And when you're doing that, because of the fact that there's a high risk of crossfire, when you're doing something like that, you can only get that complex when your basics and your fundamentals are extremely good. And so that's what we did every day. We would wake up in the morning and train. Dude, the first year of my life, in but Ranger Battalion, I wanted to quit. Like the, everybody thinks the training's really hard and the training is, it's designed to make you quit. But I made it through the training. I got to battalion and I wanted to quit almost every day because it was so hard. You got no weekends, you got no nights. You were literally just day in, day out working, getting the crap kicked out of you. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, I was actually on my first combat tour after being in battalion for like a month and a half, two months, I was in my first combat tour in Iraq and there's no room for air because your guys are reliant on you. So when I was doing that, the days were just, they were, your days in training were so important because when you were back at battalion, that's what set you up for success for missions, fighting against real terrorists who wanted to kill you. They did not like you there. They didn't want you there. And obviously they're in a survival instinct. So they want to kill you. Your room for error is very, very small, if not just not even there. How scared did you get in those situations? Like, I mean, it's a good, life and it's death, a good question. Life and death situations. I mean, most, most people don't put themselves in those situations or have to go through those, man. Like, what was that like? Like, yeah, like how scared would you get? I mean, I'd be lying to you if I told you I was scared, to be honest. That, and I'm not trying to say that really? to be like, oh, I'm such a man. Yeah, like it, it was almost like desensitization because the amount of training that we did 
we actually used to do what was called live fire training. And we would have this massive shoot house. And in this shoot house was set up like, say, for instance, a warehouse with all these different rooms. And every different room had a different kind of complex nature to it. And what we would do would be like a crawl, walk, run. So we would go into this shoot house. And first, all we would do is basically you had a dry weapon. And then you basically would go and use your weapon and act like you're shooting. So you would go clear the, you'd clear the whole objective with your platoon, right? Or if it was squad training, you just do your squad. You'd clear the whole objective and you're like, oh, you see a target, bang, 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 bang. Cool, no problem, right? Like that's all you're doing. Well, then the next phase was blanks. So then all of a sudden you got blanks in your gun now, right? So you're like blanks, boom, you actually hear the pop, you pull the real trigger, right? And you got targets. Well, these targets sometimes are right next to your buddies because of how you have to clear the room. Well, then we actually went to live fire. Like that's what special operations does, dude. We went to live fire. So you're literally shooting real fucking bullets right next to your buddy at a target that's right there. And so it's like, that's how it goes because in real life, that might be the situation. And not only did you have to trust your men, they had to trust you. And then you needed to trust yourself that you were, you were doing all the right fundamental things. This is why fundamentals are so important. So the reason I say I wasn't really scared and, and I can truly say that because I still remember the first mission I ever went on and my, my squad leader came to me and he's like, Hey, Sass, what's going on? Cause I was sitting on a bunch of ammo cans and I was just like staring out into space thinking I was an 18 year old kid. And, um, he goes, Hey, Sass, what's up, man? You all right? And I was like, yeah, Sergeant, just really thinking of what I need to do out there tonight. And that night we actually went on six different missions. And so we hit six different objectives that night, you know, and it was an intense evening and it was my first indoctrination to real combat with special operations, but I wasn't scared. I was literally just thinking about what needed to get done and think about thinking about my fundamentals, right? To watch my brother's back. But at the end of the day, it's like when, when you're out there and everything's going on, it's like you're running around with your hair on fire, but you don't really have time to be scared because if you're scared, you're going to freeze and someone's going to get killed. And so you didn't have really that option. So you had to kind of take it out of the equation or else somebody's life in, was in jeopardy to include your own. So would you, say, would you say that the more prepared you are and the, the better you get at mastering the fundamentals for anything, the less that fear is going to show up in any area of your life, right? I would, I would, I would think that even in combat, as well as anything you're going to do in life, if you focus on those basic fundamentals and you master them and you get so good at them that it just becomes like second nature. And then you're so programmed mm -hmm. to do the fundamentals that when you're in battle, you know, battle of whatever you're in, whether it's combat or life, that you're already you're kind of, you're using what you've been working on so well that it's not even a thought. And it's like, would you, would you agree that maybe the fear that comes into people's minds is a lack of preparation or a lack of like mm. those core fundamentals for anything? Because I'm trying to take what you're saying in battle because it's so fucking powerful and like, and understand it in life too. 
because it's kind of the same. It's just different, right? As far as like getting prepared for life. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're on the right track there. I think when I, ref if I sit here and reflect on this as you're speaking and asking me questions, I would say that fear comes down to what I believe to be a couple of different main key ingredients. One is the absence of knowing what to expect. And two is the inability to adapt to an unexpected situation. That's what I think of when I think of fear. And so the absence of knowing what to expect is taken out in a lot of cases, when you train religiously on this stuff, when you're doing live train training with live ammo, you know what it's like for a bullet to fly by you. You use real explosives in training. You know what it's like for something to get blown up and you actually use real people in training. So we used to use what was called our op four, which these were counter operation forces, right? And so what they did was we would actually fill a whole city. It was a training city that we built. And this whole city would be filled like it was a, a, a Middle Eastern, you know, location. And we were going in to, to take down a target. And so there was people that were innocent. There were people that were part of the terrorist organization. And you had to actually be in there and grab these people up. You may have gotten in fistfights with them to sub subdue them. And like, like it was a real environment. So the more that we trained in that, there was no real absence of knowing what was going to happen because you trained all the different scenarios. You trained all these different things. It was like, oh, I know what's going to happen. I mean, at the end of the day, the biggest thing for fear is whether I was going to die or not. And that was a 50-50 chance, right? Every night that was 50-50. And so when you just basically come to the agreement with yourself that, hey, this might be the end of it for me, right? Like, that's then then the rest of that the rest of the unexpected things or potentially unexpected things you've actually already experienced and then the other flip side to this for me the flip side to this also is the fact that or the other piece to it not the flip side but the other piece to it is being adaptable and if you are like you put it if you are highly trained in your ability right so this goes to life too if you're training yourself in your ability to react to any situation and you trust in your abilities then adaptability becomes second nature and so when i go into say for instance i'm going into an environment where it's all multi-million dollar business owners and i don't have multi-million dollar business and i'm going and talking to them it's easy for me to be very fearful and turtle up and not engage in a conversation with these people but if i have been reading i'm highly intellectual i'm intelligent i can speak business I, I listen to podcasts, I do these things, and I know how adaptable to that situation. I don't need to be doing what they do to actually feel comfortable with them, right? And so that's where adaptability takes control. And so when we were in an environment of hostility, we were highly capable because the fundamentals were all practiced, because we knew each other as a squad. We knew how the other one thought. We knew where the other one was going to be because we had systems set up. You could be adaptable to no matter how bad the shit got. You knew what to do. You knew what the other guy was going to do and how you guys were going to support one another. And so that adaptability allows us to kind of take down the levels of fear that most people experience or think they would experience in such the, such a situation. It's beautifully put, bro. 
You know, I, whenever I have these conversations with people that have done things that I've never done, I always like to just imagine what it would be like in those situations. You know, it's hard for me to fucking imagine that life. All I can relate to is sports and getting ready for hockey and battle. And I can relate in that sense, but just thinking about these life or death situations and dealing with real things, real problems, real humans and real death. Like fucking your brothers, your, your people and, and other people that you got to fight against. Like it's, it's hard to comprehend that kind of stress in, in one's psyche and body. And I just Mm -hmm. admire like how you've been able to have, like, you're such a nice guy and you have this like energy that I'm like, it's hard to imagine that you're not this hardened fucking angry person because there's so much there that you've seen and been through and it's like how is this guy so like you know because you see a lot of these guys that are involved in that and they're traumatized for life man yeah right for sure and Mm -hmm. i guess where i want to go with that is like if you can think about was there i want to go deep into the story of like you being in that difficult, those trenches, like, is there a story that you can think of that has re- that really impacted you that really has stuck with you as like, man, like that or some sort of situation that really hit you, hit home for you. That has been something that is kind of stuck with you even to today that you'd like to share with us or just something that you can you can kind of give us some insight to into that world. Yeah, there, there's quite a few, but the one the one that sticks with me for a lot of different reasons is the one where I actually wasn't on the mission, and I was actually back home because I had I went through a training program. It was it to, for a lack of of not like wanting to go too in depth on the training stuff, but there was a a place. So I was a ranger in Second Ranger Battalion, which is the Special Operations Group. Wow, if I can speak. And then there's a school that was named after us, after the Army Rangers, that was made after Vietnam called Ranger School. All right. And going to Ranger School doesn't mean you're a Ranger. It doesn't mean you're a Special Operations Army Ranger. It was a leadership school designed to give leaders within the Army the ability to reach this higher level of training that allowed them to be better leaders when they went out back to their units. Well, because it was named after us and because it's kind of part of the process for leadership, we had to go to Ranger School to become a sergeant or higher within Ranger Battalion, within Special Operations. And if you didn't pass Ranger School because it was named after us, you got kicked out because that's one thing that special operations groups can do is they can actually kick you out of them. Regular military can't do that. They can actually kick you out of a special operations group. So we had call, what was called RFS, and that's release for standard. And if you didn't pass this ranger school, you didn't get to uh, continue in battalion and you got RFS and then you went out to the regular military and you didn't get to be in special operations anymore. So I say all of this because I was back And it was my turn to go to ranger school. And I had just finished. I had just gotten back to battalion. I went straight through. I got my tab from ranger school, all this stuff. And I was actually getting slated to go back over with my unit, with my platoon while they were there. 
and attached to him. And we were in this limbo area of like, are we going to send Johnny over there? Or are we going to keep him back? Right. Cause like the guys were going to be coming back in like a month or a month and a half or something like that. So I was back in battalion and all of a sudden we get a call that two guys from my platoon, Brem and Braza got killed and that our platoon took a, a pretty bad gunfight and there was explosives and all this other shit and ended up getting in a, in a pretty wicked fight overseas. And two of our top dudes, two of these bad dudes, and they, they got killed. And I'll never forget, one, there was really that survivor's remorse, right? So it's like, hey, I should have been over there, number one. And number two, I should have been there. It should have been me or somebody else, not these two guys. These guys were like supermen. They were so good at what they did. And so it was like, wow. Then the other thing was, these guys were like supermen to us. We believed in them as like, kind of like the top level of our platoon. And we are like, if those guys can get killed, any one of us can get killed. And so there was a couple things. There was the survivor's remorse. And then there was the, there was the mortality realization, right? Because before that, yeah, we kind of knew, but we had been pretty unscathed up until that point of those two getting killed in combat. And so like, yeah, we were like, oh yeah, we're, we know we're mortal, but come on, we're pretty freaking bad, dude. Like, like it didn't take a lot to kill one of us. And then to see that happen and to hear about it and you're like, whoa, it's no longer like a, oh yeah, like this, this can't happen or, or, oh yeah, it could happen, but it's very small. It's like, no, this hit home. And so that stuck with me ever since then, because in reality, it never mattered how hard we trained, I actually probably became harder on myself in training and harder on my men, knowing that because those guys were so good and so proficient that they got killed, that if any of our guys were less than that, the error for opportunity to get killed was a lot higher. And so I, and, and, you know, I took it upon myself to really just make sure that I was embodying that and and trying to get my guys to the highest level of standards so that margin for error or that that window for that to happen got smaller right but in the end of the day it goes back to that 50 50 coin flip so that was a story that's a story from what happened and i wear i wear their names on a bracelet every day because it reminds me of one our mortality but it also reminds me of two men that i looked up to who you know if I'm having a crappy day or I'm sitting there trying to play victim in my own mind, whatever it is, I can look down and be reminded that, that, that my life gets to be in service of them. And that if I'm sitting there playing small, what would they think of me seeing as they gave up their life for this country and gave up their life for their brothers, right? So for me, it, it, it has always stuck with me that way. And I carry that with me and I take it seriously. I mean, even in the gym, I always do like two extra reps at the end of, at the end of like a set or something like that, or at the end of my workout. And that's always to just bring them back to consciousness and presence with me because I do that for them. And it's always giving myself that extra, whatever extra that is, is to say, oh, that's, that's that extra push that I can give because that is what I feel for them. That's what I support them with. That's how I live my life. So that really stuck with me for, it still does to this day. And that's one of the stories that really like, 
it impacted our whole platoon. A lot of guys, you know, took different routes after that. And it was, it was a really hard time for us, but it was also really just understanding what, what life is when you're in that environment. So yeah, man. Thank you for sharing that. And it's, yeah, man, it must drive you nuts then when you just see people nowadays, how ungrateful they are for the freedoms that hmm. people fight for. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, people, it, it's, people don't realize what they have. They're so, they lack so much gratitude for the freedoms that they take for fucking granted every single day. Yeah. It's, it, it kills me because, you know, I can, I can do better about seeing some people's arguments in the sense of like, oh yeah, we didn't choose to be in this war. They were never really a threat to the American way of life or whatever. But in the end, you know, war will find your doorstep. And if you don't have a strong presence, you know, this goes for people too. If you don't have a strong presence, you're what's called a soft target. You're the person that criminals take advantage of. And that's just a small figure of, of what really a small taste of what the, the world is. There are people out there in countries, leaders of countries who have insidious agendas and they will bring the fight to you and they will bring it to you strategically. And if you don't put them on notice of the kind, like, regardless of how you want to look at the world, that's just the facts of the world. Like we can have a very utopian view and like love is the answer and all this shit. At the end of the day, that's not the world we live in. And so if you have that sense of preparedness and you have that posture, you're respected more. That fight may never come to your door. That fight may never come to your country because God forbid the day that it actually does, right? And you may have to be the one that picks up a gun or a weapon to save your family. So I understand people's arguments when they kind of say that stuff, but on the same token, for somebody to be willing to put that flag on and to say that I represent a flag that represents a light in this world in a country of people who have the ability to prosper regardless of uh, station within society, like that takes a lot to say that, yeah, I may not agree with my leaders, but I'll go fight. I'll go fight for a way of life. I'll go fight to show that there's a posture that we have, that if you're going to engage with this country, we're going to be in a dogfight. And so every person that puts those flags on for, for all these countries have their own connection to the people and connection to that soil. And they're willing to do that. And it's a very small percentage, but it's the most dangerous percentage too. And that's what has to be seen. And that's what it's like. Yeah. These people that take for granted everything they have. It's like, have you spent time in places like Somalia? Have you spent time in places like the Congo or in places like, you know, the Middle East anywhere? Have you spent time in a place where your freedoms, they could give two fucks for, and they're going to sit there and oppress you? No, you haven't. And you don't know what that way of life is. But you, you should be happy that people are willing to put on a flag and give a posture that someone's not going to come in and force you into that way of life. Effective. And I, yeah, I can't stand when people have that because you don't have to agree, but you should respect everybody that puts that flag on. Dude, 100%. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. And exactly. That's, it's such a good question is a lot of these people with all the answers have never been in these other countries. And 
including myself, I've never been in, in, in some of these really troubled countries and it's, you know, and I'll be, I'll be honest up until the last couple of years, man, I took for granted a lot of shit too. Like, I mean, it's, that is, was taken away that we're, I was like, what? Like just little things, right? The simple things mm-hmm. like getting locked down and not being able to leave your, your house or your country and not being able to do these things. And you got to wear a mask and this and that. I, I, I mean, it taught me a lot about just the simple freedoms that we get that were taken away. And it's like, wait a minute. Whoa. I kind of, I kind of see what's happening here. And mm-hmm. how does this turn into more? Like, it doesn't stop here. Like, it doesn't stop. Nope. I mean, a little bit is taken away, a little bit's given back, a little bit's taken away, a little bit's given back until everything's taken away. And then you're like grateful for being able to take your fucking mask off. Thank you for letting <laughs> me breathe air. Thank you. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's, it's true. It's like, it's, it's psychological, man. And we just need to realize how great we have it. And when people are going and willing to do what you're doing, whether you agree with all the stuff behind the scenes, I mean, I just respect anybody that's willing to go to battle for somebody else Mm -hmm. other than themselves. Like that at the end of the day, like I respect that. And that is what, what I love to highlight about this is that it's, it becomes more about yourself and your team. And that to me, I can really resonate with just from sports, not to the level that you were at with with that, but it taught me so much about my life. And now it's so transferable into all areas of life. You talk about entrepreneurship and business. It's all, it's all the same fundamentals and things that you learn from that, right? Like you get equipped with this knowledge and these skills so that you can use them in, in, in business and life. Mm-hmm. And it's what most people are lacking, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's the disciplines. Like, would you say 100%. now when you work with people and you see like, you're not in that world as anymore, you're in, you know, your performance and leadership coaching and you're doing great things. You're working with a lot of people, a lot of great men doing things. You know, you have your podcast. Would you, what would you say, do you notice is one of the, one of the, most of the things that people are, are lacking? Like what would you say it's the basics, the disciplines, or what else would you say? Speak to us on that. Yeah. Oh, it's such a, such a good question, brother. And, and for me, it's, you know, I think personally people forget about, I think they forget about what this life is about. And I think they forget that they are the main component to their life. And so I'll elaborate on what I mean by this is that how much time do we spend a day working for a job and educating ourselves on how to be good at that job and the processes and procedures of that job to then work for somebody else's agenda goal or being a cog in the wheel? How much time do we spend on that? And then Think about how much time do I actually spend on educating myself for things that I enjoy doing something for me that I enjoy? How much do I, how much time do I put in to skills that I want to learn? Like I just picked up the guitar recently and I started doing lessons because I've always loved it and I've never taken it up. And I was like, 
dude, what, what has stopped me? I actually truly love the guitar and I have no, I have no reference for playing it. And I'm like that I need to remedy that I need to do something for for me. And so I think people forget that they, and so what I find is people are so stopped looking at themselves as the main component of their lives. And they've looked at money or survival in society as the main component to life. That's why they live for the weekend. And you're like, well, if that's all you're living for, you're definitely going to end up around 65, 70, 80 years old on your deathbed, looking back saying, wow, I have a ton of regret. I missed so many opportunities because I never put me first. I never put my enjoyment first. I never put the things I wanted to do first. And people are like, oh, yeah, well, you say that, but we have to put food on the table. Bro, you're not in the Great Depression, man. You can do so many things to put food on the table that you enjoy. If you love snowboarding, go fucking be a snowboard instructor on a mountain and go move to a fucking mountain state and hang out there and make the money that you need to, to put food on your table and do something you enjoy, like get to something you enjoy for you and stop trying to play this game for people and for the world, for the societal constructs, do it for you. And I think that's, that's why so many people are fucking depressed and they're sad and they wonder why they're bad parents and they wonder why they treat themselves like shit. And they're sitting there watching Netflix all the time and they get nothing fucking done. And then they're eating pizza and they live like shit and they look like shit and they wonder why they're in that place. And it's like, dude, this is all your choice. You did this because you forgot that you were the main component to your life. You forgot that you were the hero of your story. You let celebrities be the heroes of your story. You let athletes be the heroes of your story. You let other people take the reins of your fucking story. And you forgot that you were the hero of it. You forgot that you were the one that gets to enjoy this life and has fun in it and actually is the one that gets to participate. Like we have lost that and that's like it it just it makes me so sad downtime doesn't mean any of that it just means that you're actually living your life for you instead of allowing your life to live you right that have just lost their way because all they're trying to do is turn 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 something for somebody else or for an unfulfilling goal like okay you want to make you want to make a bunch of money you want to make them dollar bills bro cool all right so you're going to work hard till two in the morning and you're going to put the time to do that and then you're going to turn around and you'll be a millionaire and then you're going to look back and be like wow dude i fucking i'm miserable i put no time into my mindset i put no time into my heart and my spirit and i forgot like who i was and my purpose and then you're going to say, wow, yeah, I got the money, but I am, I'm downright sad and miserable. I, you have no idea. And I'm sure you've heard this too, because you have a, a collection of friends who are high level entrepreneurs. And how many times have you and I heard, yeah, my most miserable time in my life was when I made my first million dollars. Like when I started actually creating a big business, I have heard that so many times. It's actually really, it's like, wow. If that isn't something that opens us to understand that it doesn't really matter about these societal goals, that our goal should just be to live through happiness in ourselves and in our own, you know, alignment. If that doesn't tell us that, I don't know what else you're going to, you're going to say to anybody. Like people have to get back to that fun. I have a, a good friend. You probably know Garen, Garen Jones. I, I've heard the name. I don't know him, but I heard he's awesome. I've seen his content. Yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. And one of the things that, 
you know, he and I have talked about, and he's very open about, is the fact that when he was in prison in France, he started to hear a voice in his head that just told him to do the things that he enjoyed as a kid. Just do the things because that's our most pure time. Nobody's pressuring you. You find pure enjoyment in whatever activity it is. And so he started in prison doing things that he enjoyed as a kid. And he started to raise the vibration of the people in prison. And there was less fights and less killings and all this stuff. The guards actually noted it to him. They brought him in. The warden like brought him in and told him this. And he got out super early. I think he was supposed to do like 12 years in prison. He got and because of the fact that he was conducting himself in a way that brought enjoyment to him. We just do that for ourselves. We can influence the rest of the world around us if we live in enjoyment for ourselves. Like people think, oh, that's selfish. That's a good selfish because too. And so there's so much power in that, but we're just diluted and distracted from society. They want to keep us that way. They want to keep us out of our mind. Just like we've seen for the past two years they want to keep us minds distorted on reality and fractured in our connections both to spirit and both to other people and that is there's there's a whole purpose behind that but at the end of the day if we don't see that we can't ever live in us we can't ever really live this life and it's like, you know, guys, get back to who people do that. And that's what I do. And I try to get guys to see that, that they, they are the fabric of their own ecosystem, the people that they want to be and doing the things that they want to do. But I see a lot of brother. Oh, dude. So powerful. And I completely resonate with that because just us being us, just being your truth of who you actually are and doing what you want to do will attract the right people and the right opportunities to us mm -hmm. that will eventually bring us that fucking financial goal that we want, even if it's yeah. not directly what we're seeking. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if we're, if we're in alignment with what we actually want to do, like if we actually have fun mm -hmm. and enjoy the shit that we're doing, of course, success is going to come. And of course, you're going to attract great people, great opportunities, great conversations, synchronicities, whatever things were going to come into your life because you're fucking honoring, just have, just enjoying yourself and, 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 and listening to what you actually want to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Versus I want to create, I want this money, 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 money. So I'm going to change everything about me to get to that. And then you're missing the whole mm -hmm. point. Like you said, because yeah. if you aren't getting there, if you aren't getting there and you aren't happy and you aren't doing it from the place of where you actually, who you actually want to be, then what's the point? Yep, exactly. You're going to end up unfulfilled anyways. Yeah. And then you're going to meet, you're going to meet people that aren't necessarily the people that are aligned with who you want to be. And I completely agree with this, bro. And I, I mean, this is, I mean, I think it's so important that you brought this up because 
that story about his him in prison, man, that's crazy. That's like that's that's right. It's crazy, but it's not. It's like I it's it's yeah. It's also a story that I heard when I went to Dr. Joe Dispenza's retreat. Is they they started same sort of thing. They started teaching his work to these crim to these these the this really dangerous like very high security prison in Mexico, this woman's prison, and they started teaching mm-hmm. these ladies his like his work his meditation, and then there was like a transformation across the entire prison. Same sort of thing around the energy, and people were like, "What the fuck is going on here?" Because then everybody's kind of these people, these like. They're like murderers. They're like, you know, but they're getting rehabilitated in a way that they're opening their hearts. They're actually like getting this level of love that they haven't felt Mm -hmm. in their entire life. And it's like, it's, it's, it's vibrating outwards to everybody around them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it's like, everybody starts to change and everybody starts to feel different. And it's, it's, it's crazy, man, how powerful that can be. Yeah. I mean, I, I just want, I want people to stop playing fucking games with themselves and stop fucking lying to yourself. Like yeah. you can lie to, you can lie to everybody around you. We're never going to know the truth, but at the end of the day, you got to go to sleep looking at the person in the mirror, knowing whether or not you were lying to people and lying to yourself. Cause you're going to know. And that is where I really find it. It's like, if you stop fucking lying to yourself and you do the things that make you happy, like don't say oh yeah, I don't want to do Dr. Joe Dispenza or read his books because it's woo-woo or whatever. And it's like, bro, if that shit fucking works for you, why? Why wouldn't you do it? Like stop playing a game, give it a chance. You know, it's like if this works for fucking murderers and people who have been, you know, paraplegic or people who have fucking sat there and have been in cancer for a year and all of a sudden they're relieved of these things, don't you think there's something there that could probably help you to just have a little bit of a fucking better life like stop playing games around this stuff you know it just into this too it's that because it came to me while you were talking and it was like if we're sitting here and we're always putting this mountaintop this goal we need to stop putting in uh, as much importance on the goal because it is important to have them i do agree with that but we put all the focus on the goal and we in our journey And it's like, if you stop putting that level of importance on the goal and you make the goal to give you somewhere to go, but you put all the importance on the journey, you are going to live your days in fulfillment. You are going to end up at the end of your time. I agree. And I think it's so important that we just realize that just like what you're saying, embrace it all in the present moment. Because so many people are just focusing on that goal. And then when you get to that goal, that's not usually what it is you wanted anyway. Cause you get there and you're like, oh great. But you just ignored everything in the present. Every all the all the learning, all of the the small wins, right? Yeah. The kicks in the face, all the things that teach us, right? And I think that's so important that you're saying that. And I wanted to talk to you around obviously the art of masculinity. Like what is, I want to know what that means to you because we talk about masculine energy, feminine energy, but just can you speak to us around what, it, what the art of masculinity means 
and break it down mm. for people on your perspective. Yeah. Oh man. It's such a big question because the more I do research in this field, the more I just find develop my mindset around this to really help people and to also help myself. But their masculinity is art. Art is subjective, right? You know, everybody, can, you can have one piece pictures in it. Art is subjective in its beauty, in its hideousness, in its, its smoothness, in its choppiness. It's just subjective. And that's what masculinity truly is. And the reason I say this and the reason I look at it this way is because when we look at the foundational pieces of masculinity, sociologically, it has actually been incredibly fluid and it's completely different. Cross-culturally, it is completely different because of the fact that there's no set standard for it. Like if I take myself, right, and I come from I'm in I live in South Carolina and say for instance I built my built my perception of masculinity from down here about what a man is supposed to be and then you pick me up and you drop me in the middle of New York City I probably am not going to hit the levels of quote unquote masculinity in New York City because it's very different just even regionally within the United States now let's take that a step further let's take me and pick me up from the United States, you know, was indoctrinated in the military, all that stuff. Take me and move me over to Italy. Am I going to be masculine in Italian culture? No, probably not. They have different standards. They have a different way of life for masculinity. Great point. Mas great masculinity point. is very, very fluid regionally and globally. And so I say this because at the end of the day, a lot of men are living very dissatisfied and very misaligned in their own lives and their own personalities. And a lot of that is due to the fact that they're trying to base a version of masculinity off of something that was never true to them. And not only was it not true to them, it wasn't even necessarily true for the upbringing of the collection of men in their, in their area. You know, there's a there's something called the normative theory of masculinity. And in the normative theory, men base their masculinity off of movies and actors and magazines and celebrities and these things, right? Well, all of that is unreal features of masculinity because it's not for the real application of life. It's in a, it's in a contained environment where that version of masculinity, whatever it is, suits that environment and allows it to be able to flourish within that environment. But it's not real. It's not a real world application. And so then men develop masculinity based on these things and try to take it to the real world and wonder why they miss the mark. And they wonder why they're not, you know, quote unquote masculine. Oh shit, I can't shoot a gun. I'm told though that John Wayne and Clint Eastwood, they could shoot a gun and that made him a man, but I can't shoot a gun. I don't really like guns. So now am I already missing one piece to being a man? Like they start to question themselves that way. And so when we talk about masculinity, there's no fluid set of traits that we all necessarily have. Now, there may be something that a few of us have in common, right? We believe in a certain way, but collectively masculinity is very subjective to the beholder of that view. It is not, and, and that, it, that means that if somebody wants to fit into that, that masculine box, 
that subjective view of masculinity. But if we don't see ourselves as being men in that view, we're never going to want to be that way. And then we may look unmasculine. And I think to some extent we're simple, right? But it is masculinity isn't just some set standard. We, we can actually look at this and say that there's a version of this that I'm aligned with. And as long as I uphold that every day, I actually can paint the picture of my own happiness. I can paint the picture of, you know, my own world and how I see myself. And if I get into every city live in a way and consistent with my values and shows people that I'm confident and it allows me to be confident, right? But as long as we continue to play this game, like masculinity has some set of rules to it that we have to meet. And if we don't meet them, we're not a man, then we're always going to sit there and feel like we're missing the mark in some places. Or we're going to strive to be a version of masculinity that when we step back and say, oh, yeah, Lance, I achieved this. I got to be that guy. I put all these together. Fuck, I really hate myself right now because this isn't fun. I don't really like this guy. I, I think he needs to kind of change. That's what happens a lot of times because they ended up fulfilling a goal of masculinity that was never theirs. They let somebody else write the story for their lives. And so I find this is when men actually stand up and say, okay, masculinity is really dependent on what I see and value, then I can live in alignment. I can live in confidence. And it doesn't matter what situation I'm in. I can adapt. I can overcome, I can be congruent, I can be somebody who honors himself, who has integrity with his values. And guess what? I'm never going to leave a situation in shame, guilt, fear, disrespect, judgment. I'm going to leave every situation because I knew I went in authentically. I'm going to leave every situation happy, fulfilled, enjoyed, you know, all those things. And so that is where the art of masculinity comes into play. We all have the ability to paint that canvas differently. And we all have the ability to say, this is a beautiful piece of art that I created myself. And this is who I embody. And this is what it looks like to the rest of the world to see this. This is what I'm going to show you guys, because that is what an art form is. It's giving my view of what I believe it to be and allowing people to make their own inferences off. And it doesn't matter what inference they make. All that matters is that that was honest with my view, honest with my soul. That was honest with my source. That was honest with my my integrity, my mind, that's all that really matters. And so when I stopped thinking that there was some set rules of being a man, that's when I started to break through in the way that I teach guys. That's what allowed me to break through in helping guys really find themselves because instead of trying to, you know, condition them on this one path of masculinity, I realized, holy shit, I had been judging guys a long time for the version of masculinity that I was. But that wasn't because it was actually really hurting them because I was trying to give them my painting and they didn't see my painting as good. They saw it as something that was flawed. And I didn't allow them to actually paint their own painting and, and support them in that, you know? And so it changed the game for me when the more research I did on masculinity, the more I understood the psychology of it, Carl Jung does it. Matthew Fox talks about it. Gillette breaks down Carl Jung's work. Gillette and more, I believe. And then you start to break this down. And then the sociological nature of it from Ray Wynn Connell to Messerschmitt, I think it's James Messerschmitt. Like you start to see all these different facets and you're like, wow, this, this was never the same. This was never, it wasn't really what we thought it was. 
It was the ability to create a beautiful art out of something that is beautiful, like masculinity, just as femininity, femininity is. It was the ability to take that and really just mold it to what we desired that to be and was authentic in us. Dude, well put. You know, there's one term that I feel that the term toxic masculinity has always bothered me. And I want to hear what your thoughts are before we look at wrapping this up. And because I feel like there's a lot of men don't know how to be men because we're told not to do this. We're not told not to be that. Society makes us feel shame around, you know, the mainstream media make, makes men feel shameful for being a certain way. Yet we're expected to be men and support and provide. And there's all this fucking men are just a lot of men are lost. Right. Because it's like, I'm supposed to do this, yet I'm being told not to do that. I can't say this. I can't say that. Yet I'm supposed to show up like this in certain circumstances and not in others. Talk, speak to me about toxic masculinity. What are your thoughts? Do you agree with the term? Or what do you think about it? And, and what are your thoughts on that? I, I think toxic masculinity comes from a very ignorant and misunderstood place. I think toxic masculinity comes from a place of people who truly don't even understand what they're doing when they say that. So I'm a, I'm a big, as, as you and I talked about already on this episode, is I'm a big person on fundamentals. And fundamentals for how we speak is understanding the words that we're speaking. And etymology for toxicity means unfit for consumption. So when we put this together, we're saying that masculinity is unfit for consumption within society. We're trying to classify an entire gender in a way of being that is unfit and is not capable of being, you know, consumed by people. And so it's like, wow, do you realize what you're saying when you try to say toxic masculinity? And on the same token, you're trying to classify things when there is a select group of people who create toxicity in their actions, not toxicity in the way of being. You're classifying that in a toxicity as the way of being for all, all men. I mean, realize how misappropriated that is. You know, understand that what you're doing is, is you're really actually harming not only the current men, but the next generation of boys who are growing up in masculinity and trying to find their way as men in this world. You're telling them that if they don't change to be effeminized and start showing themselves with more femininity, that they're wrong. And that if anything that's inherent to them or anything that they see other men around them do, if they embody any of that, it's toxic. Like, come on, man, how, how perverted is that? And so, yeah, I don't agree with it. That languaging of toxic masculinity really needs to look at themselves and say, why am I even saying that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Am I being programmed? Am I, am I really just regurgitating somebody else's, you know, ignorance and, and then making that my truth? And really look into that and say, there's really no reason for me to say toxic masculinity. We don't say toxic femininity, do we? When there's plenty of women out there who have very, very, very negative ways of presenting the feminine way of life. We don't say toxic femininity. No, it's people who choose to take traits that are associated with the, the energy or the ability to be that type of person, a feminine or masculine. 
it's people who take those traits and pervert them and make them toxic within how they present them. It, it doesn't make masculinity toxic in and of itself. And we can do that with everything. You can, you can over drink water, something that's incredibly helpful. Am I going to call you a toxic water drinker? No, like, it's like, you know, let's be real. Like you have to understand what you're saying when you say that. And so for me, it's like, I challenge anybody ar argue with me about this. Why do you believe toxic masculinity is a real thing? And how do you even support that? And the, the typical response is that they don't have a response to that. They're just honestly regurgitating it. And so at that point, you have to say, okay, we'll do some critical thinking before you start to say something like that, because you're really attacking an entire gender and trying to say that we're all toxic for being men. And it's like, how would you feel if I said you were toxic for breathing air? You're a bad human being for breathing air. Like, no, that's fucked up. I'm not going to like, you can't say stupid shit like that. So for me, it's like when you're saying that stuff, really before that stuff comes out of your mouth, assess what you're truly saying and try to say it in a, in a different way that you're not classifying an entire gender as being bad, you know, and try to have your own thoughts around it. Stop just regurgitating somebody else's beliefs. Stop regurgitating their own ignorance. Allow yourself to really see what you're saying and then believe what you're saying because you came up with the perception, right? And so I believe that needs to be taken out of the conversation. I believe people need to stop using that language. And I think that they need to come up with something different if they want to say that somebody is acting poorly and say they're acting poorly in a way that's like, you know, associated with men in a trait that's associated with men, but doesn't mean that all men that have that trait are toxic or, or all men that have that trait are poor or acting poorly, right? It's just that one person is. So start appropriating your language and, and being cognizant of what that language truly means. Dude, so I agree with you so much. You explained that so well, man, way better than I can. That was, that was powerful. And I'm so glad that we ended it with that because just to take that away is, is so powerful. And I get so fucking tired of hearing that term. And it's so important for us to have these conversations and just to educate people to, yeah, like stop using that language. You know, like, what are you even saying it for? Do you even know what it means? Like you're, you're listening to some fucking idiot on, from some talk show from The View or something like that saying toxic masculinity like it's just such a dumb and then people roll with it people start to build steam with it and they don't even really know what they're talking about so it's so important to to understand that and i totally agree with you bro <laughs> it's because they don't get challenged man yeah. and it's like you know there's a way to challenge them in a healthy way and that is just to ask a question well what do you believe toxic masculinity is? And then when you start to walk somebody down the path of assessing their own words, all of a sudden they change their tune. But sometimes you got to be the person that, that walks them down that by challenging them and just asking questions instead of being like, you know, and this is, I found this out for myself because I would be like, fuck you, dude, let's have this out. Like, why do you think this shit's toxic and get real aggressive about it? But now it's more or less like, hey, man, that's an interesting view. What does toxic masculinity really mean to you? And then they give you an explanation and you're like, okay, well, would you think that that's more of like maybe a specific trait that you think somebody kind of took and, and made, and, and they presented it very poorly when you start to, but trust me, that's not always been my pedigree for sure. Yeah. 
it's a journey. It's, uh, I learn something every day, man. And I think that's the beauty of it is that we're always growing and learning. And, and I love, I just love the way you describe the art of masculinity because it is art. It's like your own version. And I've never heard it that way around your version of masculinity in a different country is different than mine. I've never thought about that, bro. And I think that's such a beautiful way to, for people to think about that and to open up your, 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 your views as to what that means to you. And, and everybody's going to build what they mean, what it means to them around their environment and what their culture is. And I think that's such an interesting way, bro, to, to do it. So yeah, we're, I know we're over time here, bro. So I want to respect your time. Is there any other than checking out the Art of Masculinity podcast, which I highly recommend all you guys do and subscribe to. It's fucking awesome. And I really enjoyed being on there. You got some amazing people. How can people learn more about you and work with you or, you know, check out what you got going on, bro? Yeah, brother, I, I appreciate you so much. And you were an amazing guest on there. I can't wait for your episode to come out. It was a lot of fun jamming out with you. But, you know, if if you guys want to find me, the best place to do it's on Instagram, which is johnny.lsasser. And that's J-O-H-N-N-Y dot E-L-S-A-S-S-E-R. And then you can just check out my website, johnnylsasser.com. You can find out what's going on there. There's some programs. I run a men's event out of Texas. And it's a lot of fun and you can get connected with me on there. Shoot me any questions you got. I, I love responding to people. I love fielding questions from guys. I love trying to help people find, find themselves, find their authenticity and really just start to embrace their lives so they can be better men, better husbands, better fathers, you know, better brothers and better friends. I, I just love, I love helping men out to do that. So if you have any questions, shoot me a DM, shoot me an email. I'm always there and I answer my own shit. So, you know, I do my best to always respond to people timely and just like connect with them. So that's where you guys can find me. That's how you can jump into my ecosystem and then checking out the podcast. It's a lot of fun. Lance was on there. A lot of other great guests have been on there and it's just, it's a great forum to really expose masculinity in a way that isn't necessarily talked about a lot. Yeah, dude, you know what I love about you is you're somebody that has been through stuff, you know, a background like yours. You can really speak to people around you know because you 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 were in such a masculine such a such a powerful career and then to be able to come into this work like i feel like if anybody is able to teach this shit it's you and you have such a relatable energy and i just i love connecting with you man i think anybody that works with you or you know goes i even want to come to one of your events dude because i think it would be awesome I think it'd be a real treat to learn from you and your expertise and just your like well-balanced approach to this whole thing, man. And I'm honored that, you know, you came on the show and I know we're going to have many, many, many more conversations next time we'll be in person. And yeah, bro, thank you so much for your time, brother. I really appreciate it. I love you, brother. And thank you for having me on and truly appreciate being part of your community and learning from you as well, my friend, like you, your wise soul. And you bring so much great wisdom to everybody when you speak and you have such a great nature about you. And uh, it's just beautiful to watch you, what you're putting out in the world and how you're helping pe people in general out there. So I appreciate you, brother. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you bringing me on here. It's really awesome. Thanks, everybody.
Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Johnny. So powerful. Again, thank you for sticking with us through some of the tech difficulties. Um, and we covered a lot there. Really helped open up the perspective on uh, a different perspective on masculinity, right? I'm sure you guys got the same. And this is great for women and men to know because we all have a masculine and feminine. But in our society today, there's this, there's masculinity is, is so misunderstood. And it's so important to realize what that means for you in your society, in your environment. Johnny did such a great job explaining that. So go support him. Go support his show. Follow him on social media and follow, check out what he's got going on. All his information is below. And you guys, if you got value from this, share us, tag us, shit out of us in social media, on Instagram. If you guys want to leave a review on Apple, it's greatly appreciated. And of course, so just subscribe, follow wherever you're listening to this, CastBox, Apple, Spotify, and also on YouTube, subscribe. I love you guys. Appreciate you. Thank you for supporting the show. Couldn't do this without you. Much love. We'll catch you next time.